Welcome to New City Sermon Podcast. Join us as we open God's Word to be empowered and challenged today. We are continuing our series in Judges. We're on and doing a little mini-series on Gideon. Last week, you remember that we were introduced to, the, to Gideon. And from that, we learned that God is really committed to grow our confidence in him. God is committed to grow our confidence in him. And we saw that through Gideon, where he went from this place of being incredibly fearful to this place of humble worship before God and bold leadership of God's people. It was, it was as if Gideon was at his best. Except this week, we're gonna see Gideon at his worst. Uh, I know, disappointing, right? Disappointing, but that's the book of Judges. It, it gets worse and worse and worse. This week, rather than being a bold leader, we're gonna see that Gideon has turned into a brash tyrant. Rather than being humble and worshiping the Lord, he is self-serving and idolatrous. And we're left to kind of go, what happened? What happened? I mean, really, in the story, we're not even passing over a week's time. We're, we're just looking at days. But, but what we notice in comparison from last week to this week is in that, in that first week, last week, God was everywhere in the story. God was committed to Gideon. And noticeably, in this next part of the story, God is kind of absent, God doesn't offer his presence to Gideon. God doesn't give Gideon any commands. I mean, Gideon talks about God. Wow, okay. Yeah. Gideon talks about God, um, but God is absent. And we sort of get this idea from this week that Gideon has been used by God in God's story, but Gideon begins to use God selfishly to benefit his own story. Last week we saw that God was so committed to include Gideon in God's story, but this week we see that Gideon starts to function as if the story is all about him. That's really what happens, and that's the problem. Before we get into it, let's pray. Lord, we just pray for your word, that you would use it to grow us and make us more like your son. Where we need things pointed out, point them out, Lord. Where we need reassurance, reassure us where we need to be reminded of your love for us in Jesus, open our eyes. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Uh, Dumb and dumber. I I just said two words, three words, you guys laugh. Dumb and dumber was a movie that came out in the 90s about a guy that was dumb and then his friend who was dumber. Jeff Daniels and Jim Carrey played the two characters. And there's there's this great part that always makes me laugh where Jim Carrey has gone uh, to Colorado to meet this girl that he has fallen in love with. And he finally meets her, and he he says to her, listen, give it to me straight. What are the chances here? What are the chances, and he says, of a a guy like you and a girl like me, because he's dumb. And and then he says, "Um, just give it to me straight. Is it one in a 100? And she goes, try one in a million. And then he goes, so you're telling me there's a chance? Remember that? And then later, later in the movie, um, he finds out that the reason she wasn't interested in him was because she was married. And then he refers back to that comment about one in a million. He says, well, what was all that one in a million talk? He like flipped the script on her and he made himself the center of the story. 
Now, I can relate to that. Each one of us has a story. Uh, And in our story, God is committed to us. But there's often times where we can kind of flip the script. And instead of us being about God and his story, we make God all about our story. In other words, we elevate ourselves. We center ourselves. We think we're more important than we really are. And, and when we hear things like, God, you know, are you committed to my story? Are you gonna redeem my story? Do you love me in my story? We hear that when God says yes, and then we go, well, the story must all be about me then. I'm there, and I wonder if you're there as well. In today's story, we see that Gideon does something similar. He, he centers himself in the story. He elevates himself in the story. He, he gives lip service to God, but really he's focused on himself. And because of that, he loses sight of God in the story. Last week, Gideon had a very clear sense that he was in a bigger story than himself. Like he was fearful, he couldn't do anything without God reassuring him, but God was driving him forward in the story that God was writing. And the high point of that story comes in chapter seven, verse 22. That was the the end of our story yesterday. In chapter seven, verse 22, we remember this. When Gideon's men blew their 300 ram's horns, the Lord caused the men and the whole army to turn on each other with their swords. So Gideon had this genius military plan on how to win with 300 men versus tens of thousands. And God took Gideon and he used it and he confounded the, the enemy so that Gideon's side would win. And it was this wonderful picture of Gideon saying, God, use me in your story. I'm here to serve your story. But this week we see that he has lost sight of that story. We see that and we can relate to this because when we lose sight of God in the story, there's three things that can happen that we get from this text. We lose sight of God in the story when we make our story a comparison story. We lose sight of God in the story when we make our story a me story. And we lose sight of God in the story when we make God's story inferior to our story. Let's start off with a comparison story. In, in uh, 724 and 25, we won't read it, but Gideon goes and he is in pursuit of these men, the Midianites who are fleeing. And he goes and he gets another tribe from Israel. He goes and gets the Ephraimites and he says, listen, the Midianites are trying to escape. Don't let them escape, cut them off and beat them. And Ephraim, the tribe of Ephraim listens to him and they go and they get this common enemy. But then what happens is the Ephraimites get jealous of Gideon's success. Chapter eight, verse one says, the men of Ephraim said to Gideon, why have you done this to us? Not calling us when you went to fight against the Midianites. In other words, why'd you leave us out of this battle? And they argued with him violently. So Gideon said to them, what have I done now compared to you? Is not the gleaning of Ephraim better than the grape harvest of Abizer? God handed over to you Oreb and Zeb. Those are the princes of the people that that were their enemies the two princes of Midian. What was I able to do compared to you? When he said this, their anger, the Ephraimites' anger against him subsided. Now, what we see here is what we thought was happening was 
a story of God's salvation. There was a story of how God was going to just use 300 of Gideon's men in order to defeat these evil oppressors that numbered tens of thousands. And God did. God used 300 men to defeat tens of thousands of men, but that's not the way the Ephraimites see it. The way they see it is we should have played a bigger part in this story. We're comparing ourselves to you. We wanted some of the glory of battle, and so why did you leave us out? And they lose sight of the fact that the story is really not about them. It's about what God is doing. And even in the story about what God is doing, he had a part for them to play, but that doesn't matter to them because they've lost sight of God in the story because they've made it a comparison story. What you get to do versus what I get to do. What you have versus what I have. Now, Now we know from last week that the story was about what God was going to do. In chapter seven, verse two from last week, the Lord says to Gideon, you have too many troops for me to hand the Midianites over to them or else Israel might elevate themselves over me and say, I saved myself. God was purposely trying to write a story where they couldn't take credit for it. But now the Ephraimites are mad that they can't take credit for it. They've lost sight of what God is doing to save them because they've made it into a story of comparison. What someone else has got to do that they didn't get to do. What someone else has done that they feel is better than what they get to do. Their pride gets in the way. They lose sight of God in the story because they make it into a comparison story. Now, if we're honest, you and I aren't too far from that. You ever in a relationship with someone else get a little bit jealous get a little bit prideful about something they get to do or the attention that they're getting or that your spouse gets to rest and you don't. Uh, We are right there all the time. We live in this comparison story with other people. I mean, social media, it just triggers that in our heart. And conflict happens. Conflict is a natural part of life. But when we lose sight of God in that conflict, we make it into a comparison story rather than a story about what God is doing. Conflict is natural, but our pride always gets mixed in with conflict, and we lose perspective, and we lose sight of God. We forget the fact that the backstory is always that Jesus loves us, and he has saved us, and in God's kingdom, no one is better than anybody else, and while life is unfair, we are all equally loved, but somehow in there, you and I turn that into a comparison. And that's exactly what the Ephraimites do. Now Gideon smooths it over by kind of entering it on their terms and he says, okay, you want to make it a comparison story? Well, we drove the men out of the camp, but you're the one who captured their princes. And that's really a great thing. So God used you for that. Now that seems to satisfy the Ephraimites and so their anger subsides against him. And Gideon comes out sounding kind of godly. You know, like God used you guys for that. But really, Gideon is self-seeking. And we'll see that as the story goes on. We, we lose sight of God in the story, not just when we make it a comparison story, but when we make it a me story. Read with me chapter eight, verse four. Gideon and the 300 men came to the Jordan and crossed it. They were exhausted, but still in pursuit. Um, we're, we're meant to kind of ask the question like, What is driving Gideon here? As he crosses the Jordan, he's leaving the promised land. 
The enemies are on the run. He's obviously won. They're afraid. They're running away. Why is he still going after them? Verse 5. He said to the men of Succoth, these are brothers of Israel, please give some loaves of bread to the troops under my command because they are exhausted. For I am pursuing Zeba and Zalmunna, the kings of Midian. But the princes of Succoth asked, are Zeba and Zalmunna now in your hands that we should give bread to your army? Gideon replied, very well, when the Lord has handed Zeba and Zalmunna over to me, I will tear your flesh with thorns and briars from the wilderness. Try and put that on a Hallmark card. He went from there to Penuel and asked the same thing from them. The men of Penuel answered just as the men of Succoth had answered. So, so here's what's happening in this story. Uh, Gideon's exhausted. He's driven like a madman pursuing the Midianites. He gets to this town where there's Israelites in it. And he says, listen, we're exhausted. Give us some bread. And they're like, well, um, you don't have the kings in your hand yet. And if we give you bread and then you go and lose, those kings are going to come back to us and we are going to get sliced and diced for helping you. So they don't give him the bread. And Gideon doesn't act very maturely. I mean, there's a sense where as a representative of God, he can tell them like, either join with us as God's people or you're not with us. But his response, his response uh, seems kind of crazy and brash, doesn't it? It's interesting in this though, before even we get to Gideon, we see something about the me mindset from these two tribes. They don't want to help Gideon because they are focused on self-preservation. They've turned this into a me story. We're not gonna join in with what God's doing until we know that it's gonna go well for us. Then we'll be happy to help. Uh, they're self-seeking, they're writing a me story through preservation. They have limited resources and they, want, they don't wanna give anything unless it's going to benefit them. I think for us, we're there as well, aren't we, at times? We look at what God's people are doing, and sometimes we say, listen, I have limited time, I have limited money, I have limited energy, I don't wanna overcommit myself, so I'm not going to commit myself to participate in the story of what God's doing. We can be so self-preserving with our time and our money and our energy that we end up swinging the pendulum towards not participating at all. And as the people of God, one of our great joys is being in this together, that there's no greater place that you can share your time and your energy and your money than with God and what he's doing in this family. We often lose sight of that story because we're so focused on how busy we are. We're so focused on the things that we have to do on our to-do list. And it's not that those things aren't real. It's just, are those things always getting in the way of us actually participating, of us committing, of us volunteering, of us giving ourselves to someone in need in the church? If we always are finding reasons to preserve ourselves and not sacrifice for God's people, then we are writing a me story and we have lost sight of God's story. That's the story of those two tribes. But in this, we begin to see something in Gideon. Uh, that Gideon has made this a me story for him 
because he's so focused on payback. I mean, when those people say we're not gonna help you, he has a right to be angry. He's been chosen by God to lead those people. But his anger seems brash. I mean, just the last page we were on, he was diplomatic with one tribe. Before that, he was a bold leader of God's people. And now he's saying, I'm gonna pull some thorns down and rip your skin off because you did not help me. Uh, Look what he does in verse nine. He also told the men of Penuel, when I return safely, I will tear down this tower. Man, that's a little uh, over the top, I'd say. Well, he goes and he pursues the, the Midianites and he actually gets them without the help of those people from those two towns. And when he comes back, go to verse 13, Gideon, son of Joash, returned from the battle by the ascent of Harry's. He captured a youth from the men of Succoth and interrogated him. So he takes a kid and he's interrogating this kid. The youth wrote down for him the names of the 77 leaders and elders of Succoth. Then when he went to the men of Succoth and said, here are Zeba and Zalmunna. Here's the guys you said I couldn't capture. You taunted me about them saying, are Zeba and Zalmunna now in your power that we should give you bread to your exhausted men? So he took the elders of the city and he took some thorns and briars from the wilderness and he disciplined the men of Succoth with them. He also tore down the tower of Penuel and killed the men of the city. What happened to Gideon, the bold leader? Uh, He's not a leader now, he's a tyrant. He's a brash tyrant. He, He was just diplomatic a few pages back before that boldly leading people in the battle, now brashly, brashly being a tyrant. Um, the reason is, is somehow he has gotten lost in the story of God. He's lost sight of God's story, and he's focused on a me story that's about payback. Paying back the towns that didn't help him, and we're gonna see that he's about to take revenge on those kings Verse 18 on the next page says, he asked Zeba and Zalmunna, what kind of men did you kill at Tabor? Like, who'd you kill? They were like you, each resembled the son of a king. So Gideon said, they were my brothers, the sons of my mother. As the Lord lives, if you had let them live, I would not kill you. Then he said to Jether, his firstborn son, get up and kill them. The youth did not draw his sword, for he was afraid because he was still a youth. Zeba and Zalmunna said, get up and strike us down yourself, for a man is judged by his strength. So Gideon got up and killed Zeba and Zalmunna and took the crescent ornaments that were on the necks of their camels. So what's happening is Gideon captures these kings. He brings them back to the villages and said, you guys said you were gonna help me, you didn't. Now I'm gonna discipline you. But then he takes the kings and because he has a personal vendetta against them, he gets his own son, a boy. And he says, kill these dudes. Let's dishonor them publicly. And the way to dishonor someone is by killing them publicly and letting a youth do it. And his son, his son's like, we get a little glimpse of like what Gideon used to be like because Gideon's son is afraid. It's like, I don't wanna do this, I'm just a kid. And it's almost like we're reminded, remember when Gideon was afraid? Remember when Gideon was in a wine press and he was hiding from the Midianites? 
Well, something has happened in Gideon's heart where he has lost sight of God's story and he's made this into a me story, a me story that's about payback and vengeance. It's about proving yourself. It's about proving something to someone else. And because that has become so much his focus, he has lost sight of what God is doing. But before every move Gideon make, he was like, God, do you want me to do this? Now he's brashly saying, as the Lord lives, I'll chop all your heads off. You're like, calm down. Gideon is so driven. He's so driven by his own story by his own sense of payback, by his own sense of revenge that he's lost sight of God. and He's forgotten that he's part of God's story. This week, it's my 25th high school reunion, and it's been so fun. Um, it's been so fun catching up with friends. Last night, I was up to like 11 last night, which is way late for me, talking on Zoom with like nine of my friends, and we were just laughing about memories, and uh, one of them said to me, how in the world did you become a pastor? <laughs> How much time do you have? I mean, um, but, but it's funny, you know, I find that even from that time in high school, like wounds are still fresh. Wounds are still fresh. Like wh whether it's a wound that you caused someone else or whether that's a wound that was caused to you. And as I think about my own self and as I talk with other people in the class, I find that those things still drive us. 25 years later, like someone said to me, I need to lose some weight before the reunion. I'm like, me too. And, and someone's like, do you think Martin from high school still hates me? I'm like, I hope not. It's been 25 years, you know? Um, but, but what it made me realize was there's so much that can get in our hearts that really drives us. And we get so lost in our own story that we can be just like Gideon, like trying to prove something, trying to pay back something. 25 years later, 25 years later, I mean, payback, that's a me story. Proving yourself, that's a me story. Preserving yourself, that's a me story. And we lose sight of God's story. God's story is about redemption. God's story is about forgiveness. God's story is about our identity resting in his love for us, not trying to prove ourselves, not trying to pay back others, not trying to preserve ourselves, but looking to God and the salvation story that he's writing in my life and in your life. Asking ourselves, not how can I prove myself, but what is God redeeming? Not how can I pay back, but how can I rest in God's love? Pain is real and it drives us. And yet at the same time, we can nurse that pain in a way that it becomes the story of our life. And we lose perspective on God's story. We lose sight of God in the story when we make it a me story. But also when we make God inferior to our story. In chapter 8, verse 22, if you look there, then the Israelites said to Gideon, rule over us, you as well as your sons and your grandsons, for you delivered us from the power of Midian. Verse 23, but Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. Now Gideon says the right thing, but his heart is actually far from his own words. If you look in verse 24, you can see it. Then he said to them, let me make a request of you 
everyone give me an earring from his plunder. Now the enemy had gold earrings because they were Ishmaelites. They said, we agree to give them to you, Gideon. So they spread out a cloak and everyone threw an earring from his plunder on it. Verse 26, the weight of the gold earrings he requested was 43 pounds of gold. In addition to the crescent ornaments and ear pendants, the purple garments on the kings of Midian and the chains on the necks of the camel. So the people say, Gideon, listen, man, you're our hero. You saved us. And Gideon's like, hey, everybody, there's one hero, and his name's God. And go ahead and why don't you give me all your gold from the kings that we just defeated because I'm gonna go ahead and use those myself. So Gideon says one thing, but he functions in a very different way. He says God is the king, but then he begins to function as if he's the king. Gideon begins to function as the king, and it it gets worse. Uh, In verse 30 and 31 on the next page, he begins to take many wives, just like a king in that day would. He has many sons, just like a king in that day would. He has a concubine, just like a king in that day would. He even names his son Abimelech, which means my dad's the king. So here's Gideon saying only God is the king, and yet he's functioning in a very different way because God is now inferior to Gideon's story. He has lost sight of the story that God is writing because he has tried to make God fit into his story rather than him fit into God's story. He says he is the, that God is the king, and yet he functions as if Gideon is the king. A great question for us as we think about our own stories. Do what we say about God match up with how we function in our own lives? Do we say God is in charge, yet live as if we are in charge? The the reason that Gideon has this like demented shift is because he's been successful. He thinks that because he's successful, this is really about him. I've been successful leading you people, so I might as well function as the king. Tim Keller says that God-given success can make us forget God-given grace. Do you remember where Gideon was last week? He was nothing. And yet the success God has granted him has gone to his head. Keller goes on to say, sometimes the worst thing that can happen to us is success. Man, that might change the way I pray about things. Rather than God make me, my story successful, God Keep me humble and aware of what you're doing in your story. God, keep me aware of what you're doing in the story that you're writing. I just, I would be happy if my story just took a little part in what you're doing. I don't need my story to become this grand thing. I'm just so glad that by grace through Jesus Christ, you have included me in what you're doing. Friends, uh, we can so easily try and fit God under what we're doing rather than submitting ourselves to what he is doing. We can try and fit him in, which is exactly what Gideon does. In verse 27, Gideon made an ephod from all this and put it in Ophrah, his hometown. Then all Israel prostituted themselves by worshiping it, the ephod there, and it became a snare to Gideon and his household. This ephod was a tool that the priests were to use to get God's will, to understand God's direction. And there was only supposed to be like one of those in one particular city. And what Gideon says is, I love you, God, but I'm gonna make my own ephod. I'm gonna keep it in my own city. I'm gonna gonna still follow you, but I really wanna do it on my own terms. 
And so he doesn't abandon the Lord, but he mixes in these other spiritual practices as he's following God. Uh, Friends, there's a challenge there for us even in our story, because what I find is that people are like, I'll follow Jesus as long as it works for my story. And then when it doesn't work, we, we look to other religions, we look to other spiritual practices, we get involved in new age things, we, we, we start praying to different gods besides God. Fr- friends, this, according to this, is prostitution. We are called to be faithful to the one true God. We are called to follow him, not just when our life goes the way we want it to, but at all times. Gideon's heir can be our heir when we say, God, I'm going to mix you on my terms into my story. And just like Gideon, it can snare us and entangle us. Sarah Ivel says that anxiousness, external beauty, our career, depression, finances, gossip, health, infertility, loneliness and singleness, a difficult marriage, physical or emotional pain, rebelliousness of a child, a turn of circumstances, contrary to what you wanted, a whirlwind schedule. All those things can make us feel like our story is overwhelming and God's not doing what we want to do. And then then we can turn to something else and get ensnared by that very thing. And this is at the dark point of the story when Gideon leads the people of God. The people of God that God had used him to save, he now leads them to abandon the Lord. What happened? What happened so quickly? Well, Gideon lost sight of God and he lost sight of God's story. Verse 28, so Midian was subdued before the Israelites and they were no longer a threat. The land had peace for 40 years during the days of Gideon. Jerubbabel, that is Gideon, son of Joash, went back to live at his house. Skip down to verse 33. When Gideon died, the Israelites turned and prostituted themselves by worshiping the Baals and made Baal Bareth their God. The Israelites did not remember the Lord their God, who had rescued them from the hand of the enemies around them. They did not show kindness to the house of Jerubbabel, that is Gideon, for all the good he had done for Israel. As soon as Gideon dies, his influence is vanished. Uh, God used him, but it wasn't about him. As soon as he's gone, his influence is over. During the story, when he thought it was about him, it's when his influence over God's people began to lose momentum because he lost sight that it wasn't his story. It was God's story. He got caught up in the fact that he thought it was a comparison story. He thought it was a me story. He thought he could bring God's story into an inferior place in his story. Isn't that kind of what Lloyd Christmas did, Jim Carrey in Dumb and Dumber? Um, What was all that one in a million talk, right? So you're telling me there's a chance. We hear the wrong thing so often. We forget that God's story includes us. It's for our healing and our redemption, but God's story is not about us. It's about God. And when you connect with that theme and when you connect your story to God, it is at that moment that your story finds the greatest significance and the greatest healing and the greatest redemption. So how do we make sure we don't forget God's story? What do we do 
when we realize that we've been living for our story rather than God's. That happens so frequently to us, doesn't it? Let's be honest and admit what they're there. Well, well, here's the amazing thing for Gideon. It's at this point that I would say, Gideon, you're out. You're out of the story, bro. You really, really messed up. You're done. No longer part of God's story for you. But that's not how God sees it. If we go to the New Testament and we see the heroes of the faith, Gideon, who maybe, maybe had some heroic actions, is praised as a hero. In Hebrews 11:32 through 34, the author says, time is too short for me to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. Next slide. Who by faith conquered kingdoms, who by faith administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, who by faith quenched the raging of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength and weakness, became mighty in battle, who by faith put foreign armies to flight. The amazing thing is that God's story is so big that even though Gideon totally messes up, his story is still part of God's story. Man, that gives my heart hope. That gives my heart hope. Uh, we try and get over ourselves, but the truth is we'll wake up tomorrow and think the story's about us again. It's the part of the story where God shows up that gives Gideon confidence in him, that confidence we call faith. And as Gideon moved forward in the story, trusting God, God used it even though Gideon was self-centered and self-focused. The part of his story that mattered was when he centered on God by faith. And the way that you and I center on God by faith is looking to Jesus. What comes right after Hebrews 11 is Hebrews 12. And Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on, on Jesus. Not keeping our eyes on our own story, not keeping our eyes on whether we failed or succeeded for the day, not keeping our eyes on our faith, but by faith, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before Jesus, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. My, my story is flawed. My story is weak. My story is often too much about me. But God's story is about Jesus. And I'm invited into that story by faith. So often my story is about comparing, but Jesus is the incomparable one who joyfully dies for me, a sinner. So often my story is about me, but Jesus has taken my shame and your shame and defeated them on the cross. Jesus was superior, but he made himself inferior. God's story is that God's son died as a criminal on a cross to pay for your sins and for my sins. And all of God's story, from Genesis to Judges, all through the New Testament is pointing to one person, and that's Jesus. All leading up to Jesus, all pointing to Jesus, all about Jesus. So let's keep our eyes on him. When we fail, let's look to Jesus. 
When we lose sight of God's story, let's look to Jesus. Let's recenter ourselves on him. Let's worship him. And as we look to Jesus, we see God's story with crystal clarity. The one who died and rose again and will return. And when we know that story, we find that we have a place in it. We have nothing to prove. We have no need to compare. We learn that we're not the ruler of life, but the ruler of all of life loves us. And that is a story I can get caught up in. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to New City Sermon Podcast. For more information, check us out at www.newcityhh.com. We'll see you next week.